0: The Nail in the Coffin. Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin, Cleveland Sports Podcast. I am Tom Valentino. Uh, Travis is on assignment this week, we'll say. But uh, thankfully, I am joined by uh, the one and only Tom Withers of the Associated Press. Uh, Tom, how are you, man? Doing well,
1: Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, I know this is a super busy time of the year for you. Uh, I would say you might be the busiest sports writer in town. We've got uh, the Browns just kicked off their season. Indians getting ready for the MLB postseason. Cavs Media Day just around the corner. So uh figured uh great time to uh to bring you on
1: because you cover all three. I appreciate you making some time. no, you're quite welcome, yeah, this is kind of the confluence of the seasons for me, as you mentioned, and you know I guess the good thing for Clevelanders is that you know we're about we're on the precipice of the postseason in baseball, which is you know much like the calf season you know that's all that's all the people have been looking forward to, like you know forget about April through september let's get to october and uh we're damn near there which is great yeah i'm ready for it i'm gonna hit you with some
0: indians questions in a couple minutes but i want to start here um a few weeks ago mid-august week two of the nfl preseason it's a friday night browns are at home getting ready to play the bills and i'm on twitter and i see you tweeting out some pregame notes some updates from the press box uh you mentioned that the browns had worked out des bryant uh, no deal as of yet And uh, then the replies start coming in from fans. And lo and behold, who pops up in your (laughs) mentions but uh, LeBron. Now, I know you've had hundreds, if not thousands of conversations with him. You've covered him forever. But be honest, given the context here, I mean, we're talking about a potential Browns free agent signing on a random Friday night in August. You had to at least do a
1: little bit of a double take when you saw that, right? I did a triple take, Tom. I was, um, I was pretty blown away by it. I was, um, as a matter of fact, I'm standing outside of Brown stadium doing an interview with SiriusXM NFL. And we're talking, you know, Brown's this, that, and the other. And then my son is, is trying to, to beep in as I'm talking to these guys on the, on the, on the radio show. And so I get done with him and then I, I call my son back. He's like, dad, dad, did you see that LeBron responded to your tweet? And I'm like, did he really? You know, I had no idea which one he was talking about. So yeah, so obviously LeBron is keeping a close eye on Cleveland sports and um it was kind of funny too. So I responded back to him and then he responded back again. So people got a big kick out of uh me having a little running exchange with LeBron. But he is, as you guys as you know, um, a huge sports fan. Um he is has become more of a at least more of an outspoken Browns fan over the last couple of years. You know, we're all pretty well aware that he kind of grew up a Cowboys fan, and he pulled for the the New York Yankees as well. But you know, he's he's adopted Cleveland's other teams, and um, it's good to see that he's he hasn't completely forgotten us yet, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know that was the thing when when he uh, tweeted about Dez. I was kind of wondering, like, all right, I know he liked the Cowboys for a long time. Is he just trying to put in a good word for uh, an old Cowboys player trying to get him work, or is this really something about the Browns? But then. I I saw this past Sunday morning he was tweeting again about how excited he was uh, for the Browns opener and I was like wow yeah, okay he, LeBron's on yeah, Browns
1: Twitter now <laughs> no exactly yeah he was um, he said he was up early and raring to go on opening day so um, yeah you know like I said I think it's I think it's good for for everybody in Cleveland to know that that LeBron you know does care and it's genuine too because um, you know I've had as you mentioned before I've had plenty of conversations with him some of which have been about the Cleveland Browns and some of which have been about the Cleveland Browns uniforms, which um, LeBron is not a big fan of. And uh, he's been pretty adamant about that should be the first thing that they fix because he's a, he's one of those guys who insists that you play the way you feel. And if you're no, you don't look good then you don't play good. And why would anybody reach into their locker and be happy about putting on a Brown Jersey? So anyway, he's been fairly outspoken about that, which is why at one point I tweeted back to him, you know, Let's take care of the culture first with the Browns, and the uniforms will be next. I did see that, and I was wondering. So
0: that's a nice line. Um, I do have a bunch more Browns questions for you, but let's close the the book on LeBron first. Um, Mm -hmm. For those keeping score on things, I'm pretty sure you were the first person – to break the news that he was officially headed to the Lakers that Sunday night at the beginning of July, I'm sitting on my couch, kind of flipping through Twitter. It's kind of becoming a running theme. I think I might spend a little too much time on Twitter, but <laughs> we um, all do,
1: Tom. Yeah. I
0: know, I know, it's bad. But uh, yeah. no, I, I I saw that that you know that news broke, and the next day you and I bumped into each other across the street from right. the big banner over by the queue, and yeah. uh, you know, you got my two cents on LeBron heading west. Uh, it's my turn to. Uh, ask you now you know you've covered him for so long you know i think you were even covering the finals when he was in miami if i remember um how yeah. are you feeling about seeing him head off to la
1: yeah i mean it's going to be strange and it's obviously very bittersweet for for anybody in cleveland whether you're a sports writer or an average fan or um you know whatever the case may be so it's tough to see him go but i think we have to those of us that are remaining behind here in cleveland have to you know em- embrace what we did have and and remind ourselves that that was as good a run as as you're ever going to see in this town you know we we basically got to see babe ruth play basketball here for 11 years you know it was it was really something to behold and that's why i reminded fans as as often as i could while it was going on to you know remember that these are the good old days and they're going to be gone at some point and and sure enough at least for now they are but um you know what a run i mean he I think Tom, you know I think people forget how bad things were for the Cavaliers before they won that lottery back in two thousand two. You know that franchise you know with without some luck, that franchise could be the Oklahoma City Cavaliers right now, and I don't think a lot of people realize that you know, um Gordon Gund obviously was in a situation where you know nobody was going to the games um they were just. They were destitute. I mean, that, that franchise had just completely bottomed out. You know, the Sean Kemp experiment failed. And you, you remember those crowds. You remember how bad those teams were. It was just deplorable. So, you know, in some ways, LeBron did save the franchise. Um, and I don't think it's that's too strong in saying that. Then obviously, you know, they, they make the run to the finals. He leaves. He comes back. He delivers on his promise. I don't think any of us that were down at that parade in 2016 are ever going to forget that day and and what that meant to this city. So um, again, it's very bittersweet. Uh, You know, I wish him well, I understand why he's doing it. Um, You know, part of me still wishes that things had gone differently here, not only in the second stint, but in the first one, you would have hoped they would have been able to lure other free agents here. You know, obviously him not making the all in commitment to them, you know, kind of paralyzed the franchise at times, but you know what a player he's a once in a lifetime player. We were lucky enough to have him, and I'm not closing the book that he might be back here to finish his career. Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean I, uh... I can see it happening, Tom. Because you know, let's let's be honest. Um, You know, while he's going on 33, right, he is still playing at a level like we've never seen a 33-year-old play before. Now, that's not to say that that Father Time doesn't catch him here at some point. You know, it was about this age where. Kobe Bryant has had his Achilles injury and things started going in the other direction for him. So assuming that he can play healthy, I can see him playing four or five more years. And at that point, you know, LeBron Jr. will be close to getting in the league. And then he'll, you know, I'm I'm sure LeBron is probably one of these guys and he's talked about it in the past where he's talked about, you know, breaking the mold, being, being the guy that's able to play until he's 40. And you look at players like Vince Carter and Dirk Nowitzki and they're, you know, while Vince is something else, he's not the athlete that LeBron is, and he's still playing in his 40s. So, you know, hey, it's not inconceivable that he could, you know, that he might not play seven or eight more years. And I could see this thing coming full circle, Tom, and, and see him coming back here for for one final goodbye and bow.
0: It's interesting to me, though, that it, he ended up going to L.A. because, I mean, you just look at the structure of that deal. I mean, it seems like, you know, he's locking in for four years. But right. in the meantime, you know the roster that they're putting together this year is pretty strange and um you know i feel like every other yeah. day I, I i see him attached to another uh television or movie project as an executive producer um it, it clearly seems like he's got interests outside of basketball and you know that's fine i mean he's got a you know Yeah, he could be playing for a long time, but he also is set up pretty well to be doing a lot of other things in his life. And it seems like this is the, you know, him starting to kind of turn a page and get maybe uh, a little bit more serious about that, I guess.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. This is more about lifestyle than it was about basketball. And then obviously with with Magic Johnson, he's got a, you know, not only a basketball mentor there, but a but a mentor in terms of being an entrepreneur and and a businessman that he can follow. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's the right fit for him at this point in his life. You know, people have made a big deal about, well, he's never going to be able to beat the Warriors. Well, who's to say that this Warriors thing is going to stay together for very much longer? I mean, you know, people are already talking about Kevin Durant potentially ending up in in Los Angeles in another year. So, and there's a lot of moving parts. It is the NBA. Um, he is in L.A., Uh, you know, whether the rest of that roster is any good or not, Tom, they got LeBron James now and everything changes. Everybody gets to – everybody becomes a better player when he's on the team. And, you know, that that trickles right on down to the media as well. Everybody's got to step their game up when when the king is in town. So, you know, while I think they're going to struggle to, you know, be in the, the upper echelon of that conference, hey, don't be surprised if the Lakers aren't winning games that they had no business winning or had no chance of winning rather last season, just because 23 is there. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm,
0: I'm going to be interested to watch him play. I'm not really looking forward to having to stay up until one in the morning on some of these games. But (laughs) But you
1: will. I will. That's right. Yeah, you better believe it. It's going to be interesting to see what those TV ratings are like on a nightly basis from Cleveland. Right.
0: That's right. But, uh, Hey, let's talk about the team that plays at one in the afternoon. Uh, the Browns, um, they've played in a lot of weird games over the years and, uh, a lot of them have uh, come on opening day, but, uh, this one this past Sunday between the rain, all the turnovers, the penalties, uh, the overtime ending the way it did, um, where in the pantheon of weirdness does this one rank for you? <laughs>
1: it's really high. Um, it's right there with the Dwayne Rudd helmet throw, isn't it? In terms of openers, um, it was bizarre, man, from, from the get go, uh, you know, never mind the fact that you watched, you know, a hall of fame quarterback and Ben Roethlisberger just play dreadful. I mean, it looked like he'd been watching Deshaun Kaiser tapes for the last couple of months. I mean, he was just a turnover machine. And then obviously, you know, the thing that was hanging over the Steelers all week was the Le'Veon Bell situation, which is, added kind of another layer of weirdness and awkwardness to that whole game. So, um, yeah, it's just – you know, Tom, as far as the Browns are concerned, you know, I mean, the 16 losses hurt last year um, that, you know, everybody had to live through here. The the, the pain lingers. But to me, that tie on Sunday hurt as much as any of those losses last year just from the standpoint that how often could you get a plus five turnover – differential and still lose on your home field in the opener against your arch rival I mean everything was just gift wrap for the Browns to win that game and they still didn't do it and you know it comes down to you know too many penalties and poor execution and miscommunications and special teams breakdowns and a blocked field goal and you know one thing after the next and you know people asked me on Monday if I thought you know following the game whether or not that was a a positive for hugh jackson and i i felt it wasn't i thought it was you know more of the same um you know the same problems that we saw last year you know again you know penalty after penalty you know back-to-back false starts and you know i understand that they were playing a rookie undrafted rookie offensive tackle but you know that's another thing why is that lingering into the final week before your opening game you know joe thomas retired in march and you're still messing with that position you know 5 months later that that didn't make any sense to me so yeah in in terms of weirdness tom it was as as weird as i can remember here in cleveland and you know again i just i just feel bad for browns fans because they deserve better and they're still not getting the product that they deserve i i will be honest i i
0: felt like a tie it strangely was a fitting end of that game because, you know, yeah. for all the, all the stuff that you just laid out about the Browns, um, the Steelers stunk on Sunday. They, they, I mean, Connor, I know the running back, he, he had some moments, Antonio Brown ended up getting his numbers, but I mean, they, they put up plenty of ter- uh, penalties as well. Um, they yeah. turned the ball over six times. It was sloppy. It was ragged. It was two teams that were, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. I felt like, um,
1: So agreed. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you know, the other thing too, Tom, is that it just seems like, you know, the officiating, it seemed like there was a penalty flag on the field after every single play. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers were across the league, but, you know, with the crackdown on the the helmet rule now, and, you know, they're being a little tighter on, on some of the holding up front. um, And then yesterday, you know, then of course, you know, if you're a Browns fan, you gotta, you gotta live with the NFL then coming out and saying that the, the roughness call on Garrett was the wrong call, and there were a number of those around the league. So it was just it was just a bad game across the board. If you're a fan, you know it was poorly played, poorly officiated. It rained like you know probably not as bad as as was forecast, but it was a just a brutal day down there on the lake. Yeah, I was going to say
0: what um what do you make of the Browns' quarterback situation? Because I mean, if there's one thing People in Cleveland love to do it's it's start uh, you know looking uh, with longing eyes at the at the guy who's uh, on the sideline the backup quarterback. In this case, it's a little bit different because everybody knows with Baker, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, I'm I'm personally I'm torn on this because you know it was the the conditions were bad and I mean you saw how much Roethlisberger was struggling. So I right. don't want to just entirely throw Tyrod under the bus or Tyrod um <laughs> but uh <laughs> at the same time, you know, some of what we saw him struggling with, I felt like in that game it was getting back to a lot of the stuff that had been the rep on him coming here with Very hanging onto the ball too long and yep. um you know, taking too many sacks and um, I just felt like a lot of times, and again, I don't know if it was the conditions, I just didn't feel like he threw a very good ball. And I mean, you know, who am I to say that's sitting on my uh, my recliner eating too many chicken wings watching the game, but I mean, you know what it looks like when, when a guy's putting some
1: zip on it and some of those passes just felt like they were floating for an eternity. Yeah, I agree with you, Tom, and there was just like there was just no rhythm at all to the offense. You know, there just was not a a feeling like I don't care what kind of play they were calling, there was just no no flow to it at all and i i really questioned the game plan early on as well i think they threw i want to say 9 or 10 straight passes um and i kept screaming i was talking to scott petrack from the the chronicle telegram he was sitting next to me and i kept saying to him when are they going to start running the ball especially in these kind of conditions to your point i mean it was a you know that thing was just and i thought the referees actually did a good job of that they were they were really uh, efficient in Hustling, you know, dry balls in there as often as they could, but you know, I thought the the strategy early on was very strange, which I don't think helped with, you know, this offense. Um, you know, you know, I talked about it before. Desmond Harrison and left tackle doesn't, you know, help Tarad because I don't think there's a a, a confidence level there. Um, there seemed to be some some miscommunications and some breakdowns on in the in the blocking schemes as far as that goes, and he got some pressure on him, but. But you're right, Tom. I thought he did. He held onto the ball too long. I thought there were there were a couple times where there were guys open. I thought there were also a couple times where he threw decent balls that probably should have been caught. You know, Njoku had a couple of, of drops oh, that back you know. Back. Pl- yeah, back to back plays, right? That that could that could change that game. And I I specifically asked Hugh Jackson yesterday about the ball to Gordon. You know, much later in the game, that that appeared to be underthrown. And I was kind of I was trying to give to rob the benefit of the doubt thinking that maybe he was kind of thrown in a little short thinking that Gordon might undercut that cornerback and and make a play on the ball. But, you know, Jackson said, you know, what all of us were saying, which is that, you know, he's got to get that ball out there. He's got to give Gordon a chance to make a play on it. And he's, and the bottom line, as far as Hugh Jackson was concerned yesterday was that he's got to complete more passes. I mean, you can't live with 15 out of 40. Um, And as bad as big Ben was, you know, his, his his statistics weren't great, but you know what? He completed a couple of big balls and he had that momentum killing 67 yard slant to Schuster that kind of took the year out of the stadium there for a little bit. But, and I'm with you from this standpoint, Tom, that the Steelers just weren't themselves, but by the same token, they get a 21 to seven lead with seven minutes to go and are probably on the verge of running that clock down to three minutes. And James Conner coughs it up and the Browns obviously capitalize. They get the high touchdown and they're able to, to tie the game up. But, I think what really hurt from the, the Cleveland standpoint, again, the five turn, turnovers, when you consider that teams are 132, four and one since 1999 with a plus five turnover differential. And the Browns have two of those losses. And obviously now the tie, I mean, that is just a statistic that screams at you and um, you know, just not being able to finish the job was the problem that the Browns had last year. And, and sadly it's carried over into week one. You, all right, so you've certainly
0: uh, alluded to um, you know some recurring themes this year carrying over from past years. You know, before we started recording here, you were telling me a little bit about just a typical week now that the season's going on, and mm-hmm. um, you know you, you you know you're around the building over there in Berea, and you can see what's going on, and um, you know there's there's what you can report, there's what you can't. Just are you? I'm just kind of curious from somebody who's around the team as often as you are, you know, as fans, we got taken kind of behind the scenes a little bit more than we usually are with the hard knocks thing mm-hmm. uh, through training camp. Um, but, you know, you're still seeing more than that. I'm just kind of wondering, um, are you, are you buying or are you selling on the Browns overall? Cause like I came into this year kind of excited for the first time, I think in, in quite a while, I, you know, as I said in right. the, the podcast that we had the, the, the last time a couple of weeks ago, I um, hard knocks did its job. It, it, it got me to buy back in and mm-hmm. I'll be honest, like, you know, as, as sloppy as that game was this past Sunday, I, I haven't lost that yet, but uh, um, right. should
1: I be uh, guarding myself a little bit more here? Yeah, I think, I think so, Tom, I think, I think everyone should buy in from the standpoint that the talent is substantially better. I mean, they've got, they've got star players at several positions and I'll, I'll start with Jarvis Landry, you know, who I think is, is one of the top five receivers in the NFL. That's just statistically proven over the last four years. You know, the guy's got 400 catches. He's a player. Miles Garrett is an absolute monster. He's on the verge of superstardom. I think in Josh Gordon, obviously we know about all the other issues, but to me, one of the elite receivers in the league, as long as he can stay on the field. Um, you've upgraded in the backfield. I think both in Carlos Hyde and in Nick Chubb, the rookie, you've got something there. I think Njoku's a player. You know, the offensive line's got some issues. You're going to have to figure that out there, but Batonio is an elite guard, right? And then back over on defense, you know, unfortunately, Ogba's hurt already because I think he's also on the verge of, of breaking out and becoming, you know, a, a better than average player in this league. And I think the linebacking core is good. You know, obviously the Kendricks loss. um, hurts the depth overall, but in Denzel Ward, I mean, the number four overall pick for him to have two picks in his rookie debut. I mean, you can't ask for better than that. And the kid obviously is tough. You know, he sticks his nose in there to make tackles. So, so Tom, I think, I think buying in, in terms of talent is fine. I still think, you know, the big issue here is do you have the right coach? And, you know, I'm still shocked that a guy who went one in 31 over two years is back for a third season. And, um, you know, until I think that gets fixed and obviously, you know, Hughes, Hugh's had his challenges. And I, I think in fairness to Hugh, you know, a lot of things have gone against him that he's really not had any control over, but now those things are supposed to be cleaned up. And, you know, he's, he's supposed to be the CEO of this now. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I just thought, you know, so many of the things that we watched last year, we saw again on Sunday and that's got to get cleaned up. Now, you know, I've I've been of the mind though that to me they can fall anywhere between five and nine wins. I, I you know, and let's forget for a second that they were 0-16 last year because to me that was not an 0-16 team. That was a you know a four and 12, five and 11 team based strictly on talent, and they just they just gave away some games that they should have won. So um, I think you're okay in buying in, Tom. I think I think things are headed in the right direction. I think in John Dorsey you have a guy who you know has a blueprint for success. He showed that he can do it in Kansas city and it's going to take time here. And I know people don't want to hear that because that's all we've ever heard here, right? You know, be patient. It's going to take some time. This is a rebuilding project. Well, it is again. um, But I think the good thing is that you've got good players in the right places. And then, you know, once they get this quarterback thing figured out and, you know, to me, that's, that's what we're going to need to watch here over the first four or five weeks because, While they want to keep Baker off the field, if Taylor doesn't start playing well, they're going to have no choice but to make a switch.
0: Boy, that Thursday night game in Week Three Uh, under the lights, national TV—I know it's NFL Network—but man, that that could be for everything.
1: Yeah, that could be for everything, especially because you know it's going to be tough for them to go down and win in New Orleans, who you know, which plays extremely well at home to begin with, and is coming off a loss in a in a high-scoring game against Tampa Bay on Sunday. So. Now that's going to be a tough one. And so, yeah, now you've got, you know, Sam Darnold, the guy that you passed on or, you know, decided to take Baker and not him who looked fabulous last night in his debut with the exception of the first throw of the game that got returned for a pick six. So you got, you're facing Sam Darnold, you're facing a Jets team that people thought was the worst in the league and then goes to Detroit and wins by 31 points last night. So yeah, to me, Tom, that, I mean, that could be Hugh Jackson's job right in that game right there.
0: Hmm. Um, all right. You, you mentioned John Dorsey. I have to know with uh, being in and around Berea, has he referred to you as buddy boy at all?
1: <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not sure. If, I'm not even sure he knows who I am at this point, but but no, I think he does, but I haven't gotten that. And I haven't gotten a chemo yet either, but oh. um, you know, John is, John is around. I'll say that for him, you know, unlike some GMs that we've had in the past year that have tended to stay upstairs and, you know, aren't, aren't as present at practices and stuff, you know, John's around, you can't miss him. You know, here he comes with his, his gray sweatshirt on and his elf hat. So, um, and he usually, you know, comes over and at least says, hi, we haven't had, you know, much of a chance to to drill him on, you know, some of the issues that have popped up over the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, I think he's done a good job at this point, Tom. I mean, you know and they made a big point of it as well when they made those final roster cuts on you know last week that you know, they turned over 60% of this roster which i guess we shouldn't be surprised coming off of an 0-16 season there are but before that was
0: of an 0-16 team so
1: <laughs> yeah that's a that's a major overhaul yeah
0: yeah i uh, i hear you um yeah just to kind of put a bow on it i will say that for all the things on i saw in hard knocks that got me excited. Um, what I saw of Hugh Jackson in the meetings, uh, was not one of them. So, um, I wish him the best, but, uh, he, he is, uh, I, I don't know. Uh,
1: Well, he's, uh, in a, he's in a tough spot, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, he's in the, he's on the hot seat, right. And he's got two, um, in Todd Haley and Greg Williams, he's got, you know, take two big personalities as his coordinators who also happen to be former head coaches. And I think, You know, part of what we saw in terms of that dynamic in the coach's room was, you know, Hugh Jackson trying to, you know, continue to put his stamp on this team with guys that are in that that room with him that have done this before and maybe look at him and say, are you kidding us, dude? I mean, you've been one in 31, you know, and, you know, Haley was the one during hard knocks, Tom, if you remember, was pointing out that, you know, this team is still not disciplined. They don't practice hard enough. They're not tough enough. Guys are getting days off, things like that. And then you look and you see what happened on Sunday with 11 penalties and the miscommunications and all the other problems that they had. So, um, you know, it's not going to shock me if something dramatic happens here over the first half of the season. Yeah, well,
0: uh a team that uh, has a little bit more stability and uh, uh a few more victories on the field, Uh our Cleveland Indians just I uh, see in the background here they just put the, the finishing touches on a two nothing win. Um they're on pace for I think about 92 93 wins. They're going to wrap up the Central Division this week. And yet at the same time, you know, it, it kind of goes back I think to what you were saying um at, at the top in terms of just kind of waiting for the playoffs to start it's felt like at times this has been a little lethargic a little lackluster kind of a slog do you get the feeling from the the time that you know when you're in the clubhouse and you're around that team that um it's just guys just waiting for october or are you sensing that um there are legitimate red flags that we need to be paying attention to here
1: no, I, th- I think it's the former. I think I, I, I do think that this team is built for October. Um, you know, obviously there's still a couple of big question marks. You know, one of them was at least somewhat resolved last night in that Andrew Miller came back and, and looked good, and you got to hope that that continues here over the last couple of weeks. You know, Trevor Bauer is supposed to throw a bullpen here over the next few days. Um, that's another major question mark. You know, you'd need to have a little bit of depth in that rotation, obviously. And Donaldson makes his debut tonight, and you got to get him going a little bit. Um, so I, I do think, Tom, that that this team, you know, is is postseason. You know, the the postseason experience of the last two years has has done them well, and they've got you know plenty of guys that have been through this now. Obviously, with Lindor and Ramirez, you know, last year, you know, they're trying to make up for. I think people forget how bad those two guys were against the Yankees in the postseason. You know, they went. I think a combined four for 38. Everybody seems to talk about Corey Kluber and his injury, but, but Lindor and Ramirez didn't get the job done. And I, I think it's going to, you know, fall on them to to pick up the slack again, you know, this time around. So I do think it's a team that has just kind of been biding its time. And I, I think one of the problems, Tom, is that in this division, when you build a, you know, a, a double digit lead after the all-star break and can kind of coast, it's natural to fall into this complacency you know, I do, and I do think it's a little bit alarming. in what you see that Indians' record is outside of the AL Central. So I think it'll be good for them in that you know Boston comes in here next week. You know, obviously Terry Francona is going to do all he can now to to get guys the rest that they need, but also try to to get them some momentum as you start going into the last week or so. So you know, with Boston coming in here, they'll be playing in some some big games against them because they'll be trying to to lock up the AL East. And uh, you know, I think it's important for the Indians to play well over the, these next couple of weeks. I mean, let's think about a year ago at this time, right? We were probably in game 17 of the 22 game winning streak. And, you know, that that forced the Indians to play at a at almost at a postseason level. And, you know, while it was going on, I, I kept bringing up to them that I thought it was dangerous that that winning streak became probably, you know, bigger than the season in some ways. And I thought it did catch up to them and they were a little bit, tired going into October. But, you know, to your earlier question, I, I do think this is a team that's, that's ready for October to, October to get here and is much better prepared this time around.
0: You know, the other thing I was going to say, in, in addition to not really feeling a sense of urgency in terms of getting pushed by anybody else in the Central, um, I don't really feel like there's a whole sense of urgency to try to be getting home field or anything in the playoffs. I mean, let's be honest, the Indians' right. the last few right. years, they've gotten knocked out at home. So having yeah. home field hasn't yeah. exactly, <laughs> right. uh, you know, Let's matter do it on the road, yeah. So, um, you know, just another reason to probably not worry about that as much. Um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. Donaldson, I saw I hit the ball hard a couple times tonight, but uh, you know, I'm guessing. he it's sure swings gonna...
1: it hard, doesn't he? I mean, Frank Connor sure talked about that a couple weeks ago. Man, he does not. He doesn't waste any chances. He doesn't get cheated at all. So, you know, I think. I think the bigger thing, Tom, in in terms of Donaldson out there is, you know, Ramirez at second base makes them a better team defensively. And, you know, as we know, when you get to the postseason, man, it has as much to do with pitching and defense as it does with hitting the ball out of the yard. So I I think, you know, one of the byproducts of Donaldson getting here, it, it does make them stronger up the middle defensively.
0: Okay. Um, Let's uh let's put the Indians on hold for now cuz it's cuz it's going to be a couple weeks here till uh you know we get to showtime. Um we're we're also a couple weeks away from the Cavs. Um I know uh they they're, they're going to be out of the spotlight nationally now. I think they only got a couple of national TV games and one of them obviously is LeBron coming back here on uh, the yeah. night before Thanksgiving. Um right. but uh you know that's uh that's still the team that uh captivates me more than any of the others i'm, I'm still invested i'm still interested i'm kind of curious to know you know it's it's going to be a, a little bit different cast this year obviously i mean <laughs> one guy went west but uh you know yeah. you're gonna see some of the some of the faces are, are are you surprised i guess let me the first question i i want to start with here are you surprised that they've held on to as many guys from that team that they have and they brought Channing fry back
1: um no, not really, Tom. I think, you know, I think that's a, a pretty good core um that they are retaining. You know, obviously we'd we'd heard about the Kevin Love um, you know, trade rumors basically from the moment that he arrived here, right? 4 years ago. And so I thought it was a real kind of defining moment in terms of the future when they decided to sign him to that long-term contract earlier this summer. So, um I, I'm no, I'm not that surprised that they they kept a lot of these guys. I think what they want to find out is what are these guys like without LeBron around? You know, is, is, is Chetty Osman a a player that can, that can really become a, you know, a, you know, 12 to 14 point a night guy. Is he a, is he a, you know, is he that kind of a player? I think, you know, obviously Colin Sexton we're all excited about potentially what he can do. And then, you know, those, those parts that came along, midway through last year when you know Rodney Hood really never fit in here and we saw the kind of numbers that he put up in Utah and he was a a much different player and so you know how does he fit in without LeBron here and then you know Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance two guys that had had real flashes I thought for the Cavs and then you know really didn't do a hell heck of a lot in the in the postseason I think because Teron Liu really wasn't you know he didn't really trust him because he hadn't been through the the postseason wars with those guys before, so I think those guys are 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 also ones that could take their game up another level. And then, you know, back to Kevin Love for a second. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of player Kevin Love is now that LeBron's not around. That you know he's not you know stuck in one of the corners with his hands out waiting for a pass to come his way. You know, is he going to revert to being more the Kevin Love that played in Minnesota? You know, you know obviously his his body is not the same as it was when he was with the Timberwolves, but you know. Kevin is still a guy that can grind inside and 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 get you twenty points a game um, and and still you know pop out to the perimeter and knock down threes when you need to. So I'm excited. I'm I'm intrigued to see what they can do. And I think I think people are underselling the Cavs at least nationally to a large degree. I still think that especially in the Eastern Conference, Tom, that they are are more than capable of making the playoffs. And you know we've already heard some of them chirping about how you know they're going to surprise people and, and, and be better. And I think that's a great attitude to have going in um, that, that people are dismissing you already give, you know, gives you a little edge, gives you a little chip on the shoulder and there's nothing wrong with playing that way.
0: You know, I was listening to David Griffin on, I think it was the cleveland.com podcast mm-hmm. um, with, with, with those guys. And I, I thought he made a really great point about the way the Cavs have approached this summer and that, it's, it's, you know, I mean, the, the one, you know, thing that's kind of lurking out there is the status of their draft pick for next summer and how important that is for them. Then if they finish outside the top 10, they they lose that pick, I think, to Atlanta right. and everybody's like, oh, you know, you get the people that are like, well, you got a tank to hold on to that. And, yeah. and his point was, if you unload all your veterans now, you you have no other option other than to do that, that you are full on in the tank. And, and that's that. And part of that is, okay, you're improving your lottery odds, but you're also taking away any and all meaning from your games this year. And, you know, it doesn't really give you a very good environment to evaluate what you got uh, when you drafted Colin Sexton. That's exactly right. He pointed out uh, Devin Booker, I think with with Phoenix, and it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, how good is he? You you don't know. They've been horrible ever since he's been there, and he's never played a game with any kind of, Stakes in the NBA, so like, what, what, you know, what do you have there? And you know, at least by giving the team a chance to start the year, and they're going to play to to win, you know, you can at least see how he responds to that. And if it goes well, and they surprise, well, then awesome, here we go. Let's, uh, you know, let's do something at the deadline and make a little push and try to make things interesting. And if it goes you know, south, well, then you could always unload people at the deadline and still get that pick at the end of the year. And isn't this the first – next summer, isn't that the first year that the lottery odds, like the weighted – the way those are
1: weighted kind of flatten out and it's not as advantageous to finish with the worst record? Well, that's – yeah, that's exactly what the NBA was trying to do to, to you know, to get tanking out of the uh, the vernacular, right? I mean, that's what everybody's been talking about. And, you know, the the Sixers were kind of the – you know, the, the poster boys for that over the last few years. And that really hasn't panned out, has it? I mean, sure. They've got some really good players, but you know, where have they, what have they done with it? And the same with the Celtics. So, you know, another guy, I think that we're going to have to be keeping a really close eye on is Teron Liu. You know, what kind of a coach is he, Tom? We really don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, LeBron impacted everyone as we mentioned before. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of coach Teron is with this young team. I think, you know, he, he really cut his teeth in this league as an assistant, as a guy that developed young players. And now he's going to have some young players, especially in Colin section that he's going to be able to get his hands on a little bit and, and, you know, and not have to worry about, you know, all the drama and, and listen, I, you know, I'm I'm part of a media group that probably was responsible for, for driving some of that narrative over the last couple of years, you know, it was like, you know, as, you know, as the land turns, as, as Taron Lu, you know, spoke about it several times i mean it was it was too much and it was a distraction all the time and um he can just coach now and i think that's going to be refreshing for him and then another guy i want to mention as well that that is on this Cavs roster now too is sam decker who's been out with the clippers the last couple of years who's a player that really intrigued me coming out of college you know six eight can shoot it a little bit um you know nice player and and from what i understand is a you know is a, a good character guy as well so yeah, you know, I'm with you, Tom. I think it's going to be very fascinating to see what this Cavs team does going forward. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. So just kind of from your your
0: role and what you do from the day to day, when you get into a, a, a time of the year like this, where you've mm-hmm. got the Browns going, at, you know, every week, you got the Indians playing, and they're going to be back in town pretty soon, and, you know, the Cavs aren't yeah. too far around the corner. Like – you know you you're the you're the guy that's going to be you know kind of driving the bus for the AP in in Cleveland when it comes to you know covering sports around here like what what does right. that look like for you in the day to day do you
1: sleep ever <laughs> it's a uh, it's a you know th- there's always three or four balls in the air and two of them are sometimes on fire so it's um it's about prioritizing right it's about figuring out you know what is the biggest national story on a, on a given day so you know, let's just take tomorrow for example. So I'll go out to Berea, we'll have open locker room, we'll talk to Terod Taylor. I'm sure, you know, he's gonna be drilled about, you know, you got coach said you gotta play better. And are you worried about Baker being in your rearview mirror and all those kinds of questions? And so they're probably a natural story that comes out of that. And, you know, to your point, Tom, the you know, the Indians are gonna take that magic number down to as little as two by the end of tonight, um, with a chance to you know, it's interesting. They can, they can wrap up the division tomorrow um, while they're flying back from Tampa because they play a day game. Minnesota plays at night, and then the Indians, the Indians are off on Thursday, and Minnesota plays. So the Indians can end up, you know, wrapping up the division on their off day, which means they'd probably celebrate after Friday's game, win or lose. We've had that situation here before. So, you know, for me, Tom, it's just a matter of, you know, Hey, you know, take it, take it day by day and literally story by story and hour by hour and and whatever pops up, you know, um, you know, expect the unexpected is kind of like one of the mottos I have to live by, you know, who would have thought that a week ago, the Michael Kendricks thing would kind of come out of left field and, you know, we get trades and we get, you know, the Corey Coleman situation and, you know, it's, it's one thing after another here in Cleveland, which is, is both good and bad because, you know, it does keep keep Cleveland kind of in the spotlight, especially nationally with our teams, but you know, for me from a personal level, um, there's really no break. Um it's very tough to schedule, you know, family vacations and things like that. But hey, I'm not complaining, man. It's um it's been a good job. It's it's taken me around the world. You know, I've been lucky enough to go to ten Olympics and, and see some great things and meet some great people and have and have really enjoyed it. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not complaining one bit, trust me. All right. So
0: with regards to, you know, you you write for the Associated Press and, you know, there are basically every media outlet in the world is is relying on the AP to some degree, especially Mm -hmm. within the US. Um, So, I mean, there are certain things that, you know, you're being counted on to produce. How much flexibility do you get outside of that to write about what you want to write about here and, you know, try to explore some angles and, and you know, kind of do some you know some interesting things, and maybe from a
1: a, a featury side a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question, and that's 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 one of the greatest challenges of my job. Tom is trying to figure out you know when I'm able to to produce those kinds of stories while you know we're, we're kind of like um, you know the AP is the diner that serves you know scrambled eggs and, and a side of bacon every day, and occasionally we'll will slide out an omelet to you. So it's up to me to try to figure out you know, how I can, how I can put those omelets together on the side here while still, you know, taking care of game stories and all the, all the things that our clients and members count on us for. So, um, you know, I wish I could do more of that stuff, Tom, but with, you know, being just the the only AP sports staffer here in town, it's, it's difficult. So um, typically what, what will happen is that I'll have you know my normal schedule for a week, and my, that might be a Browns game or two, and and the Indians or the Cavs or whatever the case may be. And then I'll be I'll be trying to work on some things on the side, and and kind of gathering string is an expression that we everybody uses in our business, which is you know doing interviews and you know t- t- trying to to dig a little deeper on stories. You know, there's some things going on behind the scenes now with the Browns that I'm trying to at least have my ear to the ground on and trying to find out more about in case things develop, you know, things that we talked about earlier, this, I would we'll call it a dysfunction within the coaching staff now, but clearly there's, there's guys that may not all be on the same page. And so, you know, trying to dig around a little bit to find out more about that. And then obviously, you know, checking in with the Cavs now and then to find out, Hey, do you guys have any other moves planned? And, and just try to you know, stay connected as best I can with the front offices for all three of these teams. And, um, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, prioritizing on, a, on almost a daily basis and, um, and just kind of, you know, following my gut more as, as much as anything else.
0: All right. Well, you sound like you have a very busy day tomorrow, so should probably uh, <laughs> let you go get to bed. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to do this. I know we kind of traded some emails for a while trying to pin down yeah. a day to make this happen. And uh, I'm super glad that we did. This has been awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Let's do it again. All right. That is Tom Withers from the Associated Press. And as always, you can follow Tom on Twitter at uh, TWithersAP. And uh, obviously, you can read his work everywhere uh, as he writes for the Associated Press. As for us, you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're also on TuneIn and Stitcher. And uh, you can stream us on WaitingForNextYear.com. Our thanks again uh, to Tom Weathers for joining us. Uh, Travis will be back with me next week, I do believe. So in the meantime, it's Tom Valentino. And uh, it's been the nail in the coffin. And we will talk to you again soon.